Welcome to the podcast that demands ambition, passion, and courage in order to succeed in this mission called life. All you have to do is just pass your limit. Go beyond your restraints by embracing the physical, intellectual, and emotional suck that life will throw at you. I'm your host, Ugo. I do not claim to be the subject matter expert, but I will share my experiences and I'll ask my guests to do the same. The discussions will be guided by honesty and civility. Some episodes will have guests, but most of them will be me and you. No excuses accepted here, people. None. I'm excited to get after it. So without further ado, let's go. guest today has been in the U.S. Navy for 20 years, an H-60 helo pilot and someone I've always admired for his conviction. We don't always agree on hot-button topics, but I believe having those conversations with people we don't agree with has the potential to make us much better. And that's my goal, that's his goal, and I believe that should be a common goal for us all. He was born and raised in Ohio, specifically Cleveland, Ohio, a strong family man, and he's always filled with purpose. I am honored to welcome Commander Patrick Snow, call sign Roxy, to the Pass Your Limit podcast. Welcome, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm I'm grateful. Uh, I'm so honored to be here. I'm excited for uh, getting into this today. Uh, I, you know, that was pretty flattering, man. Uh, not, <laughs> I hope I deserve it, but uh, I'll do my best. You definitely do, sir. And you're someone that you're someone that has always inspired me. So let's get after it right now. Uh, first question: Can you give my audience some context to where you're from and what led you to the Navy? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm a devout Cleveland Everything fan, which, uh, you know, most people will say I'm from here, I'm from there. But as a Clevelander, uh, being from that town is a huge part of your identity. Um, right. So it's one of the reasons we're so passionate about our sports teams, because no matter where you go, there's this sense of this us against the world mentality. But it's not in a negative. It's a, it's more of a camaraderie thing. It's kind of right. the way I think sports fans are supposed to be. So mm-hmm. I live in New England now at the Naval War College is, is where I'm stationed. And um, the fans here are just different. They're so spoiled. They're so arrogant. They're so cocky. Right. And, and they'll say things like, why do you like your team? And I'm like, picture for a minute that not everyone's from Boston or Maine, exactly. Uh, exactly. that they're from other parts of the world. And this is what they grew up loving. And, um, I don't know. It just, it's funny to me because it's like, uh, I, I think there's nothing weaker than conforming to somebody else's sports team just cause they're good, you know, front running, like you exactly. like your team and when your team's bad, you uh it's got to suffer um but it makes what, what, what do you think about following players though yeah so it's a good talk because uh, uh as you know i'm a big lebron james fan um right, I, I got a, i got a love hate with him though because sometimes there's <laughs> stuff and it's just like dude um like when he came back you know that kind of wiped away a lot of the pain when he left and then right. when he left again i'm like you know it, when once he got us that championship and that's the only championship i've ever seen and mm-hmm. you know i'm 43 and I, none of my teams other than Ohio State have won um, at the pro level. And so right. you just got to be grateful. Um, I know some fans, when he left again, they're like, ah, he did it again to us. And I'm like, yeah, but he delivered. Like, so, right. And at the end of the day, they're athletes. They're not, they're not necessarily like your role models or they don't have to be. Uh, right. Although I would say that he does a lot more off the court that's positive. Um, I, I will say this, though, to that point. So I follow him and I support him a lot. And sometimes he does do things that – Give me pause, like when he uh, made like, the comment about what was going on in Hong Kong. And, I was, yep, I was gonna go right there. The China. Right, I'm like, I'm like, dude, man, you you've been an activist in the U.S. and you know how to step up to uh, the powers that be. But when it affects your money, 
you're like playing both sides. Come on now. Yeah, you it's know, pretty so. it's pretty easy for someone in Hollywood to get up and be quote unquote brave and parrot back to the room everything they already believe and get yay. Mm-hmm. It, or it's easy for LeBron to stand up and you know support one of the candidates and just say you know those people are bad. But when it actually affects his bottom line, so with China. Right. You know, right. you've got millions of Muslims, the Uyghurs up in the north, they're in prison camps. You've got what's exactly. going on in Hong Kong. And it was so clear that he just cared about his money, about his brand, about his world image. And I think the great line was, um, you know, people before were inappropriately saying, hey, you should just shut up and dribble. You don't get to have an opinion, which is, to me, bull. But right. in this case, someone said LeBron had an opportunity to say something and he chose exactly. to, shut, to shut up and dribble, right? Dribble. So, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. That's why so, I love listening to you right there. Oh, yeah. man, that's but, awesome. But I think the other thing that's kind of compelling about all of us is that we have social media um, is supposed to be something that makes us all wiser, brings us together, immediate access to information that's the internet. But mm-hmm. what it's done in some respects is cause people to get into their phone booth, into their echo chamber, to only go looking for what they want to see, to only listen to opinions that reinforce what they already think, uh, and, and to terribleize people. And like, if you want to take that moment, that was not LeBron's best moment, right? But are you going right. to pretend he didn't build an entire school in his hometown? That he's not sending mm. hundreds and hundreds of underprivileged kids to college? That he mm. didn't give, give. I mean, the greatest... But that, but that hit his image, though. That affected his image a lot. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean... You know, are we the sum of all of our actions? You know, are we going to stand before mm-hmm. the gates and we're going to get like all of our pros weighed up against our cons? I don't know. Um, I just I just think it's uh, too easy to to grab the lowest of the lows and say this is who you are as a person. So awesome. um, but at the same time, like you got to hold people accountable. The, the opposite's bad, too. Like, you know, love or hate any leader. If you if you blindly just go everything they do is gospel and never hold them accountable for the things that you want them to be, then that's not good either. You got to. Kind of just be consistently striving for greatness and be have that integrity. So um, going back to your original question, you know, uh, I went to uh, Montessori grade school and then an all-boys Catholic high school called Cleveland St. Ignatius. Phenomenal school. And that really uh, it, it, um, helped shape who I was, I think, along with okay. my, my parents. I'm the oldest of four. My dad was a shrink. My mom was a dentist. So they were very into education. They said that was your, the vibe. Your dad was a what? A psychologist. So a PhD oh. in psychology. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, and so he's a shrink. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, the difference he's so he's not a psychiatrist. He can't prescribe medicine. He's not a, yeah. um, but he can, um, you know, do all everything else. Um, my mom, on the other hand, is a dentist and a physician's assistant, so she can prescribe medicine because of that rule. God, a I dentist know. and a PA. Wow. Yeah, she. she <laughs> okay. I think she just likes being in school. Wow, that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, what led you to the Navy? Right. So being just totally canon, I saw Top Gun when I was a kid. I'm like, this is cool. <laughs> you know, I want to go fast. Right. Um, right. Uh, and then someone told me I was too tall because I'm six four uh, and I believed him. So that's another good bit of advice for everyone out there. Like, you know, you can get input from people, but confirm with the source. Right. So we have mm-hmm. in the Navy, we say gouge, you know, that's like kind of helpful hits is helpful. Unless it's, but it's not the doctrine. It's not the publication or the pub. Yeah. It's not, it's not Tr- what. Trust, trust, but verify, right? Yeah. So if somebody says, I don't know if that's legal, we'll go look at the law books, see what the law says, and then follow the law, not gossip. Um, mm. But anyway, so I went off into high school. I was, you know, a Eucharistic minister. I was in the swim team. I was in the lacrosse team. Um, I was really active, um, you know, just in going off to college, I wanted to be a doctor, I thought, or maybe business. So I was kind of a double major. And as a freshman, I was in the honors dorm. And there were some naval ROTC guys there, and they said, hey, uh, you know, they're all in uniform on drill day. And I was kind of like, oh, that's cool. I almost listed in the Marine Corps just because I wanted to serve somehow. And right. they said, you're not too tall. You should come down. So I went down to the unit, and the gunny uh, gunny sergeant Green measured me up. 
and uh, said, no, your sitting height is what matters. You're good to go. And so literally sophomore summer, I went to like our little sophomore boot camp as if I was a freshman and started up uh, an ROTC. Wow. For the Marine Corps, though. No, so it's Naval ROTC, and so they have a Marine uh, enlisted guys that are help part of that unit. So uh, we do commission gotcha. Marine officers, but you're all together. But it was a big 125-man unit. Um, you know, it, it had we had good, not just good numbers, but good participation. We worked out a lot together. There was good camaraderie. Uh, we had right. a, good, a great CO and XO, uh, good enlisted chiefs that had been downrange to kind of tell us what's what, what was really going on. And then, as That's you know, awesome. there was... Summers where you'd go on court med, you'd go on first class cruise and um, kind of dress up and play Navy. It's fun, but it was a good reminder, hey, there's a real fleet out there. So I knew exactly. that I wanted to fly the whole time. I was on what's called college program where um, I didn't have a scholarship, but they had looked at my grades and my performance and my physical tests and stuff and said, we think he's a worthy candidate. And then you go to what's called advanced standing by your junior year. This is how mm-hmm. it used to be. Where that I, I was getting like a hundred dollar a month stipend, like woo, you know. Meanwhile, there's other kids doing the same <laughs> stuff, and all their college is free, right? Wow. But I was a senior on a, I was a company commander doing close sort of drill, and I'll remember um, the XO comes out to meet me on on the, on the marching grounds, and he goes, "Hey, can I talk to you?" Uh, and I'm like, "Midshipman, first class, no." And I'm like, "Yes, sir." And he's a commander, submariner, and he's like, "I got great news. You've been awarded a flight seat." And so I was just oh, ecstatic. Wow. Yeah. And so that <laughs> really, awesome. so from that moment on, it got real. Because there was a bit of faith where I, I had a goal, I, and, and I think this is something that's good for everybody, is to identify what your goals are in life and then execute some regressive planning. And what I mean by that is mm. looking at that end state, right, and then mm-hmm. working backwards and identifying major milestones, obstacles, things that have to get done, right? So everyone can mm-hmm. say, I want to do something. I want to be in the NFL. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a pilot or whatever lofty goal you have. But there's some things that are required. So you got to have a four-year degree to be a pilot. Well, you did at the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you've got to have a commission either through ROTC, Officer Candidate School, or the Naval Academy. So pick one, right? You know, and then you've got to pass your flight physical. You've got to have some stuff that you just can't control. But there's all these wickets you got to pass through. And then once you get into it, now you're just starting. It's another two-year pipeline. And then even when you get your wings, you don't know anything. We call them nothing muffins. You think you do. <laughs> you, you look at your chest and it's shiny. You got gold wings, and that's certainly a respectable goal. Um, right. accomplishment, but um, then you get out to your reserve air group and you realize I don't know anything tactical yet. Then you get out to the carrier and it just it, it just never ends. And I think the Navy's great at reminding us that we're never finished products. Right. And, and as such, you get to be around a mentality of accomplishment and achieving. And there's always a next rung, a next step to climb. And it's more than just a rank. It's there's quals and and, and competencies and abilities. Uh, and and as you know... But, do, but don't you think that, that that makes us kill our own, though? Like, it's so competitive sometimes that people don't want to help each other at, at certain levels, if you know what I'm getting at. I would submit to you that's community-driven. So, I mean, okay. just... I don't know how much your listeners know about the Navy or the military, but um, in the Navy, you have um, aviation, you have the surface work officers, you have submariners, you have the intelligence community. So you have all these different communities. And culturally, we're all a little different, Right. Right. So in aviation, we have this mentality of if I screw up, man, it's my I cannot wait to get in and tell the ready room, hey, I was doing this in the aircraft and I flicked this switch in the wrong order and here's what happened. Man, I'm lucky I'm not dead. And the mm. thought process is you don't, you know, we have an expression, learn from others' mistakes, you won't live long enough to make them all on your own, right? And that wow. it's funny, but it's meant to be a mentality of um, you know, you have a, a stewardship or responsibility to your your, your wingman, your teammate. If you, if you know something, don't play I've got a secret, right? Well, there's the surface warfare officers, just community-wise. There's right. just this competitiveness where um, 
My, my theory is because it's less kinetic. You're on a bridge, and we've seen some accidents in Seventh Fleet where there's certainly life's involved, and it's not not right. risky. But like on a, a on a daily basis, if I'm flying, you know, I have like we actually have in the aircraft a minute to live rule. So if if I'm flying and I'm headed towards the water, and my wingman says, "Hey, uh, you're descending," and I don't respond when he asks mm-hmm. me again, or if there's less than a minute to live. So if I'm at a thousand feet and a thousand one hundred foot per minute descent, then they're taking mm-hmm. the controls. My co-pilot's going to grab the controls per brief, like. Because that means wow. you're, you're in a profile where we don't do something, we're going to die in a minute, right? Right. Like, literally. So when you're on the bridge, it's like, uh, sir, I've got a closest point of contact is six miles at 10, 10 knots. And it's just there's the time is not as um, fast for you. That doesn't mean there's yeah. not threats. And that's why, actually, some of those mishaps happen. Those, um, because things kind of sneak up on you because you get kind of lulled to sleep, right? You get complacent. You get comfortable. I'm on the bridge again. Yeah, there's boats. Um, but I bring this up because I think these guys have this non-kinetic environment to a degree, comparatively speaking anyway, where they just got to make up stuff to do. So they get good at chasing paperwork or, um, you know, showing off to mom and dad. That's a nickname we call the exo in the, in the skipper, uh, <laughs> right. how, how, how hard they're working. Right. Like, right. like, you know, I'm going to stay late just to show you that I'm late in, in my community. It's like, why? Like, if you've got right. work to do, do your job. But like, if you don't go be home, go home and be a parent, go home and be a spouse, go to the mm. gym. Go get some sleep. Go get go get a balanced life because later on I'm gonna ask a ton out of you. Um, and the other jokes are the the first rule of surface warfare thermodynamics is heat on you is heat off me. So like you just said, if, mm. if I can make you on fire, then that's who's got the boss's attention. And you're getting yelled at, not me. So again, that's foreign to my community. Um, okay. But I know that the surface warfare officers have really tried lately, but with simulators and. Some other uh, um, leadership programs that sort of change that mentality because it shouldn't right, necessarily right. be like that. But yeah, so that you don't awesome. you, you don't have to eat your own. It's that's a decision. It's a culture. Yeah, that's a good point too. Are you excited about uh, Top Gun too? You know what's funny is at first I was not because I'm like, why do you gotta touch something that's gold? But everyone I've talked to on the project, um, our, our former opso, you know, sent me some stuff from out in, in Fallon. They they had some uh, the jets dressed up and painted up and. Uh, yeah. Everyone I've talked to that's actually screened or been in it said they did a great job. It's uh, so, so I know uh, somebody <laughs> that flew, flew in Top Gun too. Who's that? Yeah, uh, I, I, I can't say his name because I guess he had to sign an NDA. Oh. Okay, yeah, so, you got gotcha. you. Um, yeah, so uh, so he he flew, and I can't even say what he looks like because everybody would know. But um, so he flew with uh, Tom Cruise, and he said it was awesome, and he can't wait for it to be put out because they yep. did some pretty good things out yeah. there. There's a level of like, we'll like sarcastically quote Top Gun as pilots because there's so many things flawed in the movie. You know, uh, I mean, yeah. just just like the little nuances that you're like, who was advising them from right, ribbons, right. <laughs> ribbons being wrong to wrong. like, yeah, hey, I, I can't launch any more jets because both catapults are down. Hey, we have four, not two. Four, right. You know, carry it, it right. It, it, we launch 15, 20 jet salvos just for practice. If we're having any aircraft in the area, we have half the air wing up, you know, just. Right. Stuff that put plot holes. But what I heard about this one is, you know, a lot more real uh, aircraft uh, footage as opposed to CGI. It's got that real look to it. Um, You know, I love that they recycled some of the older actors. And I love the plot line that that Maverick stuck at Captain, can't make Admiral. And um, so I I think it's going to be excellent. I'm sure there'll be some similar plot arcs, but I I think the action is going to be insane. I think we still pay dividends in recruiting from Top Gun. I mean, you can right. show that movie to anybody, and it's like, whoa, naval aviation is pretty cool. Yeah, um, it's like it's like my son. I, I would love for my son to go into special warfare or aviation. Sure. So 
I'll try and nudge him that way, but it's still his decision. But with yeah. that, though, let, let's segue yeah. into yeah. this question I really want to ask you about marriage and what your opinion on marriage is and what makes marriage last. Okay, um, so there's a ton of stuff here. Um, kind of like I said in the last question, you're never a finished product. Um, I can think of like 15 different lines. You know, if you ain't growing, you're dying. There ain't no third direction. That's a Tommy Boy quote, but it's, it's for business, but it's about relationships too. It, 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 I think so many people just think like, oh, I get married and now we're locked and we're good to go. Or we'll have a kid mm. and now we're committed and we're good to go. Right. Um, a marriage is an evolving thing, right? And if you if one person evolves and the other one doesn't, you're in trouble. Um, and you can see negatives there where like, let's say somebody, let's say a couple gets together and, and they're a little overweight, right? My right. wife and I are in the nutrition business. Uh, we own some smoothie bars and we do nutritional counseling. Um, just helping people make some decisions on how to eat a little better or get a little more education. Well, let's say okay. one one member of that marriage, hypothetically, starts deciding to make better choices. She's having her protein shakes for breakfast and lunch. She's drinking more water. She's starting to walk after work instead of just going to bed because she's got more energy. When she comes home, she's like, yeah, I don't want to get pizza every night. I think tonight I'm going to do like grill some chicken up with some vegetables. And, you know, not every meal is perfect, but she's starting to make changes, right? And then she starts to see some results, right? So now she's starting to feel better and she feels like exercising more. So it becomes this healthy circle. But her spouse, uh, the spouse is watching this, right? Don't you think that's body shaming though? You saw the whole thing with the Peloton commercial. And, the Peloton, yeah. And, uh, all right, we, we'll, we'll get in. That. I will tell you exactly how I feel about that. You can tell me I'm wrong. But uh, the point I was trying to make there is if somebody is growing and what I mean by growing is making healthy changes for themselves and, and getting a, to be a fitter, more active version of themselves – and the other person doesn't want to change. I've seen this where that spouse actually tries to sabotage the other one. Not because they don't love them, but because they're so insecure that, oh, if you get fit and healthier, you're going to leave me. Because it comes from... But, but, but society says that we should accept people for what they are right now. And like, I don't think that's right where... I think we should be in a place where you could talk to your spouse and let them know, hey, I think you're um, gaining weight. Uh, I can help you lose weight so you, you can be healthier. Yeah. But if if you if you say that society says you're being a bad husband and um I don't well, it's know. all it's it's all in the delivery though. Like you've got to first of all you got to meet it. It's got to come from a place of love. It can't come from a you're supposed to look like a Barbie doll and you're a trophy. Like that's not what I'm right. saying. I'll, right. I'll give I'll give a different example that isn't uh, the body weight, but I do want to get back to that. Let's say that you guys both get out of high school, you get married, and one guy is just working a comfortable job, and the girl decides she wants to try and go to school, so she starts going to school at nights. She starts getting a degree. And all of a sudden, she's got a college degree, and now she's got access to better jobs. Or maybe she wants to go enlist in the Navy, and the husband's extremely not cool with it. And it's not because he doesn't think she'd be good at it. He's afraid she will be good at it because then she's right. going to grow past him. And so mm. what I'm getting at is you know, what makes a stable marriage? Mutual mm. respect. Um, and I think just uh, when you truly love somebody, your goal is for them to be the best version of themselves and for you to be the same way. And it comes from supporting each other as opposed to codependency right so mm. so obviously everyone you know trust matters but what that there's what does that mean Tr trust means like not that you're perfect you know that you don't have the perfect body it just means that you can actually be open and intimate with that person so like you're getting mm. at you know like if i tell my wife hey i put on a little weight i'm not really happy with where i'm at because of the standards i've set for myself you know then mm. and, and she's there to support me it's very different than someone nagging you going you're getting fat like right, that's right. not it's not helpful right. um so it, it's funny. I was uh, on Twitter and there's this other guy I follow and uh, uh, I got to pull up his name. He's this really like, you know, proud black man. He's really yeah. aggressive. And mm -hmm. uh, but I love his style. But there's a couple times I disagree. Like and I'll be like, hey, you know, I don't know that this is a race thing. I think this is just a marriage thing. And I just right. encourage you to separate 
making this all about one thing when you could look past it. It's it's pretty common for a lot of people. But he asked, you know, what's a quality in a, in a girl that, that you look for in a wife? And um, he was actually having a discussion with someone else who was fighting stereotypical uh, 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 statements that people were saying in his community, right? Right. You know, like, you want just some slave in the kitchen. That was kind of what she was saying. And, and, and I right. just chimed in with... Um, so for me, loyalty matters, uh, mm-hmm. uh, passion matters, integrity matters, sense of humor matters, because you just got to laugh at life. You know, if you can't just push back at some point and go, yep, uh, that was God telling me, uh, you thought you got to figure it out. Here's this. Boom. You've got to laugh. Um, right. You know, teammate mentality. I love that my wife is an entrepreneur. She has that. Um, and when something happens, it's not, oh, no, we're, we're, we're in trouble. It's, okay, here's an obstacle. How, how do I solve this problem? Exactly. Hey, you're reminding me of my wife and I right now. That's how well, we are teammates. <laughs> right, but when you've got that, it starts to get fun. And so, like, exactly. you know, I'll just be very, uh, you know, open. Like, we have our business, and the state of Rhode Island just decided to audit, you know, how we do some of it. And instead of being stressed about it, we looked in the mirror and said, we know we're doing it right. We have an mm-hmm. accountant. Here's all our books. Go take a look at it. And they had their audit last week, and they're like, oh, you're good. And, um... You know, wow. minor questions here and there, but like, you know, other people, you know, might have been just stressed. And I, I think when you live your life in the right manner, you don't have to worry. Now, mm. it, it, they're still going to come back. What they really want is just more taxes. They're always looking for areas to try and take uh, Rhode Island as a very, it's like ranked 50th for, for like worst for business um, as far yes. as being, being business friendly. Let, let, let me hop on something you said, yeah, though. You, sure. you talked about the part in Twitter. And that gets to something that uh, I want like some more clarity on. Uh, yeah. Your thoughts, your thoughts on race and the state of race relations in America? Because you said uh, we should get to a point where we can look past it. What do you mean by that? So, you know, and and for your listeners, you and I have had talks on this before. So I'll try and um, recap stuff that they may not have heard. Um, Oh, oh, wait, before you say that, let me just read it because I have it. You talk about the um, Facebook post? uh, Well, just I I can paraphrase. But uh, yeah, bottom line is, is that um, we were talking about LeBron at the time, guys. And and uh, you know, one of the things that LeBron's greatest for is he's with his girl that he's been with for forever. You know, he's got his kids. He's supportive. He's at his kid's game. And I was just saying that what I really look forward to is where just being a present parent and a present father is is what we should all strive for. And it, uh, I just kind of suggested, man, why does this have to be here as a black guy doing this? You know what I mean? And I meant it in the positive, like, right. like shouldn't this be the standard? Why is this an exception, right? You know, why right. that culturally that's something we, we need to, to challenge. Um, right, from, but this is, this, this is the thing though, right? So, yeah. and I get where you were coming from and, and I love that we had that conversation. And yeah. again, like I'll just recap it because what I, what I did say maybe could have been like misleading to some people. So I did say sure. on the picture of, uh, it was, so it was LeBron and Savannah, his wife, and they were watching his uh, son play basketball. Yep. And my caption on that, picture was this picture is dope black boy shining because he has his village behind him right and and once i put that that your response i believe was uh when you can get past skin color uh you realize that is a real story here with the father and son that you put the black boy in quotations and said family father son not color and I, i get where you were coming from but why i put that out there is because that's not what we see in media, right? Uh, no, the black for father sure. is not p- portrayed that way. So, and the thing is, like the black culture, right? The is black community. I'll say in America is the one community that people always say get past the race, so we can all hit these virtues that we're all supposed to live by. I never see anybody or hear anybody say that to the Jews, like get past the Holocaust. You know, let's all live together. So well, that's a I, that's a pretty aggressive. Uh, no, no, because like slavery is very no. I'm thinking about it because slavery has impacted uh, the black community over decades, right? And even mm-hmm. we can even go to 
uh, prison reform. And we can talk about prison reform and the issues of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, recidivism. And recidivism is where the uh, person is apt to be a repeat offender for something they've gone to jail for. And because of that, we've had minimum and maximum statutes set in sentencing. And disproportionately, it's affected African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And we could go to the war on drugs in the 80s by the Reagan administration and how that affected the black male. I mean, there's a study I read a couple months ago in uh, 2002, 90% mm-hmm. of the people that went to jail um, in Chicago were black men for drugs. And for the same offense, white men did not go to jail. So it was like, so th- these things matter. And um, that's why it's hard for some people to not look past the race. And to your point, and I agree with you, and I know I, I did say I agree with you, that we, I would love for us to get to the point where it doesn't matter what my race looks like. You know, right. but, I do. But, but, but the thing is, even the Navy has a publication, I think it was in the, in the 40s, it was like how to manage the Negro. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's the things that yeah, are Yeah, no, in. so you're, you're on a yeah. bunch of different things here, so I think it's, wor- it's worth covering all of them. Um, right, I would right. say that uh, who we are and where we came from all affects all of us. So to mm-hmm. try and pretend that to be Jewish, that the Holocaust doesn't drive a ton of who they are, obviously would be insane. And to try and pretend that the knowledge that you're, you're uh, you know, coming from a, a, a background where people have taken advantage, I mean, it's a horrible thing, slavery. Um, if I could... So I want to basically give that every due credit that it deserves, that that is, that is a real thing, right? Anyone right. that tries to be dismissive of that is not being genuine, right? Right. right. Um, my simple point was, and, and going back to LeBron thing, was simply, hey, um, I'm excited for when we can get to the point where what I see here is I'm proud of this family and that we, th- that we don't have to highlight that it's a black guy. Uh, right. and, and what I mean by that is, is, is not that there's anything wrong with that. It's the opposite. Is LeBron is a role model in that regard. Um, and I don't I'm, have the exact stats in front of me, but uh, there's some disturbing stats from multiple sites that, that, that show, I think it's something like 84% of black families are single parent. Right. Which is a hugely disproportionate but, number. But, but, but the thing about that, is, I love that you brought that up. And guess who gets blamed for that? Most times it's the black father that's blamed for that. Right, it's single parent. It's not single father. It's parent. So, um, and so it, you know, let me, uh, if I could like set some bumpers, what I mean by that is... Um, like permission to get ourselves into the safety tree where we can have open discussions like I know right, you and I right. can. Because right. what happens is whenever we tackle tough conversations like this podcast, mm-hmm. people get emotional because it's, it's, it's a real thing. you got so many emotions tied to it, good or bad. Um, and what happens is people tend to devolve down into emotional responses because they're hearing something they're not comfortable with, right? right. I mean, I teach at the Naval War College and I've, I've, we've been in some classes like Foundations of Moral Obligation We've had long talks on like the Kaepernick thing and back and forth. And a lot of it was coming from a desire, a desire to understand the opposition as opposed to just being in an echo chamber or in, we're in the military, right? Except I had a female professor, both her boys are adopted and black. So it was great to have all these different, her helping us understand from her perspective, what her boys experience every day. You know what I mean? At school. Right. Um, I'm from Cleveland Heights. That's a 70% black neighborhood. Uh, there's a huge Jewish sect of that neighborhood. Um, I'm Irish Catholic. When I went to a private school downtown, my brother went to the local high school because that's where he wanted to go. So um, what I'm grateful for that is I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood. You know what I mean? So to me, like, it's just normal to see people that have different faiths, different skin colors. But what we had in common in a lot of these areas was education was very, very um, important uh, in a lot of our neighborhoods. Um, And then community was important. We talked about being from Cleveland and that, that finding that common ground. So I always found growing up that, like, let me give you an example. 
If you're driving on the highway and you just bought like a new car, let's say you're driving a Jeep, right? You got your Jeep. Right. You start seeing Jeep, Jeep, Jeep. If it's a, a Mustang, 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 Mustang. And it, those cars have always been there. Your mind has just changed where you're looking for them now. And, and, and so you're starting to see them. And I bring this up as an example of if you're looking for the negatives in the world, you will find them. You know what right. I mean? So if you're walking around with hate in your heart and you're trying to find every example where someone has wronged you, I'm talking about just anyone in general, not you, um, right. you're going to find it. If you go on the internet looking for someone being hateful, that is easy. But the opposite right. is also true. If you walk around looking for kindness and good, you're going to find it. And it, 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 that mindset matters so much because if you change your mindset, you can change your life. That's a Jim Rohn quote. It's someone I read a ton of. And what that means is, um, you know, your mind is the most fertile ground there is. So I, what I would encourage people to do is like, you need to know your history. You need to know your facts. You need to know everything people that you care about have endured. But if you right. carry it around like an albatross where you can never look past that and everything always goes back to what somebody owes you or how someone else was wronged or how you were wronged, then you can't move forward and you end up becoming your own slave because you've right. literally given all the power for change to an external force. So right. now, let me, let, me, yeah, let me jump in. Push back with, with that one, right? So I, 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 I completely uh, believe what you're saying and um, I support it. But like to the point of... You're talking about if you start to believe or have that negative think, mm -hmm. um, it could affect the person you are in the mindset. So I, I speak on mindset a lot. And yeah. I talk about the four tenets of uh, mental toughness. So positive uh, self-talk, visualization, mm -hmm. arousal control, right, and goal setting. So yep. those are the four tenets of uh, mental toughness. And I, I live it every single day. Mm -hmm. And I always and I talk to people. And uh, the one thing, though, I, I must say is, you said, you said, speak, you spoke to knowing your history and I've studied the history and a couple of things that, um, alarmed me. Like, so even with programs and institutions that several policies affect certain groups, right? And th mm -hmm. those are facts. So it's one thing to have the positive self-talk and, and the goal setting, but if the systems are set up to affect you, we have we have to trigger change at some sure. point. So there could be fairness across the board, and and it's it's, it's funny I'm saying fairness because I don't believe fairness is a thing anyway. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm independent because I don't like liberals and I, I don't like conservatives. I'm very in the middle because like sometimes I agree with conservatives, sometimes I agree with liberals. Yeah, but, I've never voted. But, but liberals uh, like liberals, everything everybody should be fair and everybody's money is everybody's money. Yeah, Oop, you I, I've you never voted for a party. I vote for the best candidate when I right go right. I, I, I know that about party. you. Yeah, right. I know that about you. <laughs> and, so, I, and, I, and I like common sense people, so I tend to be more conservative just because. Um, I believe, and again, we're not trying to get political, but the left tends to like default to emotions and platitudes. Exactly. Like exactly. Don't you want the earth to be clean? Yeah, of course I do. So what are you proposing? What does it cost? What can we actually enact? And what's just a bunch of hooey to like get somebody feeling an emotion right. to get to get you elected? And then you and don't. I, do and I and agree. Do and I agree. But the the opposite though is on the other side now, where there's a lot of hypocrisy from the conservative party that I used to know, right? Mm -hmm. Where there are a lot of things that I'm like, whoa. Is this the Republican Party saying this? But let's get away from politics, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> but, it's good. Uh, we can spend all but, day but, on but, that. But, but back to my point. It's like, mm. I understand what you're saying, and people can come out of it. Yes, they're mm. anomalies. However, we need to get to a point where we set everyone up to have that same access to success, right? Yeah. And if, and if we start off, like, I'll say this, and it's not always about the race. It's more about socioeconomic status. Like, okay. so, for instance, you have, you said Cleveland Heights. There's some mm. kids there that are impoverished. And it could be a oh, black yeah. boy, right? 
and mm-hmm. that or a black girl, but that black girl doesn't have the same opportunity that President Obama's daughter has. Mm-hmm. See, and that's and that's they're both black, but you well, just yeah. have so different. So you're accents. talking about you're talking about socioeconomics now. So right, socioeconomic so, status. So that's what I think. Out, let me throw should. out some stuff that I'm curious about your thoughts. So, um, when when someone like when I get frustrated with certain things, like mm-hmm. they're attributed to a culture, not a color, and so what you just described is a perfect example. So. If somebody like Chris Rock has a hysterical bit where he talks about getting a master's degree and like he gets more street credit from coming out of jail than getting out of college because culturally that's what his community's responding to. And that's right. again, we want to talk about fault. That's what they know. That's mm-hmm. what receives accolades from where they're from. That's what they get attention for. We're all human beings at our core. We just want to feel loved, uh, special, uh, you know, that we matter. And, and at our root cause, at our like basic who we are, like Maslow hierarchy of needs, that's where all this stuff comes from. So when you're not getting those things satisfied, you go and you get it where you can. So the attraction of gangs is a sense of community. Someone's mm-hmm. taking care of me. You know, I matter here. And maybe um, the things that you could be better at aren't getting attention elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of examples of what you're describing. There's, there's a point that you just made right there. I'm um, gonna I'm gonna steal that because you said it's not necessarily about the race. It's about the culture. Because like in right. that example you just gave, because like where I'm from, almost everybody has like a master's degree. Right. You know, like, and, and there's a right. study on Nigerians. Like, in my family, I'm, like, the least educated, and I have a master's degree. My <laughs> and, neighbors you know. behind me, then it was uh, Odaku, uh, Prince, uh, uh, Princess, and Kinkari Odaku. Their dad was incredible genius. All three right. of them went to med school, right? right, Africans. And, like, but their culture was, those kids were studying all the time. They were my playmates. They lived right behind me. Like, we, we would sneak behind our, not sneak, but we'd hop the fence in our backyards mm-hmm. to go play. And, you know, while we're playing... Uh, sports or like running around playing tag like these are my neighbors and like right. it, like so yeah so it's but people all want to feel like they're part of tribes right we all want to be mm-hmm. part of groups and skin color is just so easy to group people by because you can see it right mm-hmm. but like when you're walking around you don't see that someone knows how to play guitar until they do it right mm-hmm. and that person's musically talented and you don't know that someone can paint until they do it right you don't know if somebody has debt necessarily or wealth if they're not dressed in a certain manner. So there's things we mm. use to look for those things. And it's like right. a measuring stick in our culture, so, right? So indi- indicators. Right. Mm. But like skin color, the, the reason this is racism has existed forever is because it's just this overt thing that people can't hide and that you just are what you are. And, and, and unfortunately, human beings, we are flawed. For me to feel um, special, sometimes that means I have to make someone else feel less than, Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they shouldn't be like that, but people do it. Um, so when you can truly start loving yourself or being proud of your own work or your own efforts, you start yeah. to need less external approval to feel. Yeah, val- yeah you start you valid. start validating yourself. Right. You don't need that valid- yeah. external and the, validation. And the opposite is true too. Like um, we talk about racism, everyone always thinks black versus white, right? But you right. mentioned Jewish. You know, right. Jews. It's um, confusing for some because it's a religion, but it's also a race, uh, which is not con- true for every every you know group. Uh, what about Asians? You know how much anti-Asian racism there is? There's a ton. Um, right, right. You know, and, and you'll see it in a lot of, you know, just being very candid, black neighborhoods. I see a lot of racism against Jewish. Uh, you're seeing it in New York, anti-Semitism and against Asians. And so what I bring this up for is not to terribleize any one group, but traditionally it's like, I can't tell you how many times I, as a white, straight Catholic male, mm-hmm. I've almost been told like, hey, you don't get to have an opinion because you're of this class that's supposed to be where everything's easy. And right. I'm like, okay, I hear you. But 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 you, but you do acknowledge you do have that privilege though, right? So but I but I think there's a better way to frame it. Um, and what I mean by that is that like at the end of the day, there's still hoops you have to jump through to get what you want. Like oh, right, right, right. saying, Definitely. "Hey, what's up? I'm white. Give me a jet. I'm a pilot." No, 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 no. But when I say that, I mean like, um, let me give you an example. So there are sublim- subliminal me- messages. So for instance, sure. 
I have never gone to an interview where everybody that interviewed me was black. <laughs> Right, right. But more than likely, more than yeah. likely, you have gone to an interview where everybody that interviewed you was white. Well, you know that like what twelve percent of our country is is African American. Right, 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 right. I was just giving an example though, like regardless of what the numbers play out to. Right. Like, for instance, as even in Nigeria, there are white people there. Right. So they yeah. have to deal with what I'm dealing with here. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. So, I'm so I'm saying like in this country where things are developed and people have opportunity, the subtle things like that matter. So like. I, I know, I always feel it when I'm in the room and I look around and I'm the only black person in the room. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, I, I, I gotta catch you real quick. I don't know if you can hear my daughter's upstairs. She's going, Dad. So I'm cool letting her keep saying it uh, just because she's supposed to be napping and she's fine. She's just... I like it. That. That's fatherhood. Okay. That's what but, makes but, this podcast. I just want to make sure if people know she's in the background upstairs. She's totally fine. <laughs> I got a camera on her, but I'm not ignoring her. At the same time, she literally just wants me to come up there and oh. sometimes, sometimes, you know, you don't give in to terrorists, right? You just got to let them... <laughs> Uh, there's some times where I can't like do what I'd like to do because we just don't have the time. Right. But like when I have time, and it's like nope, or I'm gonna be a little stubborn here. So she's okay. I, I, I don't but, care. Did you want to pause it and go take care of her? No, no, we're good because it's like oh. intermittent, and she's not actually hurt. She's just literally like pro. pro she's she's like a velociraptor. She's probing the walls <laughs> to see what she can get away with. She just turned four two days uh-huh. ago. So, but it just I was kind of aware that this might be coming in to this microphone and she might be No, there, so. I have no problem with it. Right, that, cool. that makes it better. Uh, and right. let me and that's to that point, let me ask you this question. Yeah. Um, what's the most uncomfortable thing you've ever done and how did you overcome it? All right. So, uh I, I think this kind of goes towards your other question about you talk about privilege, right? Um, mm-hmm. the most uncomfortable thing I've ever done was I got divorced and I had no control. So uh, I was on workups. Uh, I've done seven combat deployments. This was my sixth one. Uh, my ex-wife uh, was not built for the Navy. You know, I just, again, I take full responsibility for my failures. Um, at the time, we talked about growing or not growing earlier in the podcast. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd gotten a little comfortable in San Diego and just sort of bored in the marriage life where, you know, instead of dealing with our issues or confronting them, we both found activities to distract us. So for me, I started like sports gambling. Which right. is like not a no-no, it's not illegal, but it's definitely not a healthy use of your time. You know, right. Vegas is like 45 minutes away. Um, and so it just drew a lot of my energy. And I think a lot of us can have that happen in life where without even knowing it, you can fill in um, activities that suck out the time and energy away from what you should be doing to work on what matters. So whatever mm. your primacy is, whatever the most, whatever your objective is, if it's being a good father, if it's being a good husband, if it's getting in shape, if it's getting that job, like there's a lot of things, whether it's drinking whether it's like going to the club with your buddies. And I'm not trying to terribleize these activities. You just got to mm-hmm. ask yourself, where is it coming from? So I know that's a bit off the side uh, route there. But the hardest thing was I was in Fallon. I like got a voicemail as I was walking to go fly a, a dual ship Gun X into uh, the valley. And it basically said, you probably noticed the checking accounts empty. I took all of it. Um, what? She stole everything we own, including my dog, who was named after my favorite baseball player at the time, Grady Sizemore. Grady. And um, I literally dropped my flight bag, turned to my wingman and said, I can't fly. So I downed myself, um, went back to the, um, we had these little offices out in the, the flight line and found, mm-hmm. and Skipper and Exo were both in there. And uh, I was just, this is another thing we're talking about culture and naval aviation. I had right. a culture, I knew I could tell them what was going on. And I walked in and I said, hey, I can't fly. My wife just left me. I'm a wreck. Um, and I think other jobs, people would have just sucked that up and drove into work and, and handled right. like whatever they are doing. And maybe somebody got hurt because of it. Um, our old adage <sighs> is if you're driving into work and you can't stare at your gauges on your car without drifting off thinking about something, then you shouldn't be flying. 
Mm-hmm. So Skipper let me go home to San Diego. I, I drove to Reno, caught a quick flight home. She had taken everything. Her wedding dress was hanging in the closet. She only left like garbage and things that she she couldn't do. She had lied to all of our friends and said that when the moving truck showed up that we were getting new furniture and they had to take the old stuff out. Like just, right. she had made dinner plans with our good couple friends two days later to kind of like cover all her tracks. And she went off with some guy that she'd been having an affair with that I knew about on Facebook right. that she used to date in high school that she's not married to. So... Wow. Well, what's hard about that is once I got, you know, my apartment, I basically had a day or two to pull everything out, throw it in storage and get back to Fallon to be with my mm-hmm. squadron. Um, I had no power. You know how hard it is for like, you know, I was a lieutenant commander at the time. You know, I was, um, you know, I thought I was put actually, yeah, lieutenant commander. I, I thought I had my life on track. You know, I had a good job. I had, right. uh, you know, I, I knew that we were having fights. I had, I, I kept catching her with like drugs and it, it became, it devolved into like a very daddy daughter relationship Yeah. where, I, I mean, like if you know one thing about me, integrity, character matters and I'm not always perfect, but I have standards I set myself to like, I don't care if someone else is outside smoking weed. I don't, I really don't care. In right. fact, I wish they would, you know, make that just non-criminalized, find a way to make sure people aren't driving on it, that kind of thing. But like that. I haven't have a problem, but I can't have her leaving it all over my car, having it in my house, and then pretending like she's not doing it. It was just so insulting. So right, there right. was tons of signs. But so I go on deployment, and our the divorce lawyers that we all have to go get. You know, it was a couple of weeks of me to realize this this is real, and the court orders me to pay her five thousand dollars for her legal defense because she quote unquote doesn't have any money. She emptied what? her accounts. Yeah. <laughs> California, right? Uh, oh, the legal it's a, system. It's a no-fault state, and we want to talk about you know, how it's unfair towards men. That is men, one right, thing right. in life. Like, <laughs> Don't get so me started. We hear about sexism or, like, there's unfairness. Well, if you're a white, straight male in California, you have, like, no rights uh, compared to, like, you know, your wife. Or if it, you know, thank God we didn't have any kids. Right. But, excuse me. But, uh, yeah, so a lot of that yeah. was just I was angry. I went to the ship's doc, and I said, Doc, I'm angry. And the doctor said, good, because that's a normal response to what you're going through. Um, and you know, and that, that made me feel better. Like I'm supposed to be angry. So I got in the gym, you know, I, I benched 300 pounds for the first time. Um, wow. you know, I was putting up, Guess so. I like it. <laughs> I know I was put up 225, like 10 plus reps and I got long arms. So that's hard for me to do. Uh, I'm right. not there right now. I'm starting to maybe get the mental strength to make, start setting some fitness goals again. Nice. Um, but like, I just worked on me. I lost a ton of weight. Uh, uh, the way that divorce works, basically, um, you have to fight through court and they make you arbitrate for multiple rounds where the lawyers get a bunch of money until you basically exhaust all of that and they realize, okay, you're really going to break up. And then only then do they actually get to court. So, yeah. but that takes a ton. And then when you get to the end of that court, they would have gone back and said half of everything that she took is yours. Half of the debt she left is hers. Um, <laughs> 12.5% of my pension is hers because it's considered a marital asset. And even though she did nothing for us, abandoned us as a crew, as a family, um, she was going to get that. So I ended up eating 80 grand in debt, uh, a house that was another 50, 60 grand underwater because this was 2000, uh, 2009, 2010. The market right. had crashed and we had a condo in Florida. Uh, she kept my Sheesh. dog. I couldn't get it back. She kept all the stuff. But what I regained was control. And what I mean by that, it goes back to everything we've been talking about. I, I, I didn't deserve any of what was happening. Look, I wasn't perfect. But, right. like, nobody deserves to be, you know, treated like that. You deserve to have a conversation. You deserve to go through the law. But I ended up writing up our, our divorce agreement, which was, you can keep all the stuff. I'll pay all the debt. I just want to walk away where I want no pension, no spousal support. Like, what's mine that I'm going to continue to earn going forward is mine. And, of mm. course, her being short-sighted took that. 
So oh, she's no. Like, so she's like, yay, I'm, I'm, you know, I got everything I want. And she did. She got everything she wanted. She was with her new dude. They got married. Um, but like literally within two years, I was, I had zero debt. So I got rid of 80 grand because I just, all I started doing was saving, working out. Right, right. I got to Newport here where I met my now future wife then, uh, Hannah, and she was working at a smoothie bar, an Herbalife smoothie bar. And I started thinking to myself, how can I make extra money that's legal with my Herbalife or my Navy job? Right. You know, and, and, and selling Herbalife, which sounds like, you know, selling Herbalife, man. But, you know, helping people get on nutrition plans. Um, we opened a brick and mortar nutrition club store to, to be able to have people come in for a smoothie combo on a daily basis, a daily consumption. And then wow. we've learned how to teach other people. So we have seven of them now about to be nine. Um, and why does that matter? It, it, it was a decision. And, and so mm-hmm. while I recognize that we all have different talents and skills and perhaps mm-hmm. you want, if someone wants to suggest, hey, me being black is a disadvantage to someone being white. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, but not everywhere and not mm-hmm. with everyone. And hopefully we're working on that. So if you, if you run into somebody that says, hey, I'm not hiring the guy, he's black. Well, I'll help you kick his ass. And then we, <laughs> need, we need to fight that where we see it. Right. But I also at the same time want to fight people to walk around with a ready-made excuse of why they can't even try. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or a decision right. to like, because it is a decision. So, uh, um, you know, and that same mentality would be like, oh, I can never play sports because I'm not as fast as that guy. Well, how do you know? And maybe right. you just aren't in the right sport or I couldn't be a doctor because I'm not as smart as like I would have to work way harder than him to, to remember all that stuff. Well, then go do it. Exactly. I mean, we all have. Oh, I love tips. that. I love it. I love like, that content right there. That's awesome. We're, but we're not we're not we're, we are all created equal in God's eyes. But that's like our heart. That's our soul. But the reality is we all have different physical gifts. And so right. to pretend that like I'm being wronged because I'm not a starting center in the NBA and I'm tall. But I'm not seven feet tall, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, when I was at my fittest, I, I never could dunk. I could get up with the ball. I could just get my wrist. I could never finish the deal. And I, and I didn't ever get to the point where I mean, maybe shed another five, 10 pounds or work on my vert. It just it never happened for me. And I watched right. kids like way shorter than me just getting ups. I don't have right. those ups. So, um, <laughs> that is still, so much. Oh, my God. That was good information still, right there. Still Woo. playing the game. You know, I, I can still hustle. I got a good outside shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be back on defense. You know, I can participate. But so, again... And I also don't want to belittle someone else's struggle. So I think if we're fair, we create an environment where we acknowledge people's frustrations and right. we let them tell me, hey, what's going on for you? So when I'm in my business, we have a ton of kids we mentor and they all have different experiences, backgrounds, education. And like you said, the number one contributor is socioeconomics. If you go up around a family that has income, they're going to be calmer because they're not worried about paying for food, right? They're going to mm, right, probably right. value things like education. So I encourage people to read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, it's phenomenal, but it really gets into mindset. It I haven't read about, that before. I'll buy it today. You said okay, Rich it, Dad, Poor Dad? Rich Rich Dad, Poor Dad. There's several books, but there's a whole board game that goes with it called Cash Flow. But the, the basic gist behind it is uh, it's a former Marine pilot, but he's a Japanese-American, I believe. And uh, he had a dad who was a teacher, very educated, loved him, you know, involved. And it is his best friend's father who was an entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and he learned from both of his quote-unquote dads but the poor dad, quote unquote, um, at early starting was the uneducated one that had hustle, right? And gotcha. then the, the the bottom line is that it's a mentality. So he learned how to just get into, you know, whatever it was going to do. It's an op- entrepreneurial mindset. And I think there's just, I walk around now and I just see everything like his opportunity. And, and that's the thing, though. Like, you, you, you touched on something very important that I talk about. And it's the mm-hmm. mindset. Like, people always ask me, like, how do I do some of the things I do? Like, how do I have you that decide. mental toughness? You just got to do it. Like, if you, you want to run, just go out yeah. and run. If you want to yep. do pull-ups, just do it. 
Like you want to start a business, just go out and do it. Just take that risk and don't be uh, scared to fail sometimes, you know? Oh, God, that's, you a, just, a, that's something I always say. Right, right. That's the thing. Like, I, I always say this, though. I always talk about, like, if you um, fear to suffer, you already suffer from what you fear. So, yep. like, you just have to take that risk sometimes. And, and, and to that point, uh, let's talk about entrepreneurship and, yeah, I mean, what you and what you and your wife have been up to in that arena. Sure. I mean, just what you said there, another quote I love is, uh, you pay the pain of regret later, the pain of suffering now. But either way, you pay. Like, you, mm. you know, it's going to come. There, there's no getting out for free. Right. Um, so specifically what we do, um, so we have got uh, several stores that, that we don't own. We, we train people underneath us. Um, Herbalife has multiple revenue streams. It is a multi-level marketing thing, which people will commonly say things like, oh, that's a pyramid scheme, right? And right. you got to fight that narrative because it's not. We get paid based on what we sold that month. So I make retail profit on what our store sells or what I sell to my clients and what they eat. Right. So you so you own the stores. I don't get it. Like so. So so I own a physical brick and mortar store. It's called Slim Possible here in Newport, Rhode Island. Right. It's actually in Middletown, right on the border. And okay. um, you know, we are on pace to gross about seven hundred thousand in sales this year, just on like a ten dollar smoothie combo or a, you know five dollar. Wow. Yeah. It, it, and it's it's all healthy, nutritious stuff. It's all herb life. Um, and then we have uh, what's called a downline, which is uh, people that we have recruited, which is not a dirty word, nor is profit right. a dirty word. <laughs> To do what we're doing and right. we teach them, we give them the skill set of, hey, if you just want to have like shake parties or a free fit camp and get people get on their goals and, and put them on products that way, great. But if you also want to own your own store, I will show you how to do inventory, stocking, how to negotiate a lease, how to do a build out, what mm -hmm. to do for insurance. What do you do when somebody quits? Because we some of our clubs have employees and mm -hmm. other ones and there's a ton of benefits and rights that go with that. And other ones have uh, independent contractors, 1099s, where um, they're basically write their own schedules. You treat your club like a barbershop where they can come in and use a chair, quote unquote, where they get to bartend behind the bar and, mm -hmm. and move their own product. And but what we're really working on is the people. It, 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 it's it's training up everything we just talked about. And you get some people that are rough, like where they just never been told no before. I got this one girl. She's really pretty. And right. just it was so hard getting her to be like, like, I need you to know something. I'm not going to hit on you. And I'm also not going to give you special favors or anything because you're a girl. I don't care. Like, can wow. you do the I job? <laughs> and yes. I do care about you. What I don't mm -hmm. care about is what you think matters because the stuff that society has told you is valuable. They align to you. And by mm. society, I mean your circle, your people on Instagram, you got all those likes. It's because you're like wearing a bikini. You're almost naked. Right. And yeah, you're gorgeous. But like, they're not liking you for the thing that you should want them to like you for. Mm. Because that's echo chamber. Yep. It's yep. What's going to fade, man? You're not going to always look that way. And, 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 and maybe you have your, your, your fun now, but like, as long as you're aware of it, then it's cool. Like, if you know... Hey, I look like a supermodel. I'm getting likes for that. Great. And if you post a, I can't tell you how many times I'll watch somebody post, hey, got a new job at McDonald's. Congratulations. And then <laughs> someone also say, hey, I'm starting out my own Herbalife business. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And they're like, that doesn't work. It's stupid. Because right. if it's different, then it's threatening them. Back to that husband and wife example. Mm. If it's something I don't know, then that's scary. And that's a threat to me potentially because if that person becomes successful in a way that wasn't like, you know, go to school, go to college, get a job, work 40 years. You know, if they do something different and are successful, then where's my excuse? So right. it, it, unfortunately, that's how a lot of people think is they have they, they kind of almost want people around them to stay in their weight class. Because if you if you develop, it's 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 not just that you're doing well and they're jealous. What it also is, is it's reminding them of what they're not doing. Mm, right. That's that crabs in the barrel mindset. Yeah. It's a haters going to hate thing. Right. Like, you oh, know, like it. people, they're calling you down because it's you know, the more successful you get, they want you to fail to some degree because it gives them permission to be where they are. And so you right. just have to know that about society. And I'd also say that um, 
individuals are way easier to talk to than groups. So, because mm-hmm. you're when you're an individual, you you get a lot to think. When you're in the hive mind and you're and you're worried about what followers think on social media, and you know, um, a great example is uh, J.K. Rowling who wrote Harry Potter, right? Mm-hmm. Extreme liberal feminist. We almost share nothing in common politically. That's right. okay. <laughs> um, but she basically came out and said, "Hey, you know, it, there are differences between sexes. There are men and women. So if you're a man saying you're a woman and taking women's jobs, I'm not cool with that." Right. And then she got lit up by the hive mind. They went crazy they tried to you know that cancel culture get rid of her oh it's crazy you say that because i was about to talk about that today but you can't get rid of a a billionaire okay there's no way you can cancel them they can just create their own whatever um right but (laughs) but like it was just fascinating watch them eat you know their own because it's like you didn't say the exact scripted thing that we're all supposed to believe and think and it's like she's not being hateful her exact post was you know sleep with who you want to sleep with as long as they're an adult love who you want to love as long as they're an adult like she's quantifying pedophile is not okay because it's not right um right uh, you know, and then, but she finished with, but you know, there is a difference between men and women and, and, and they just are. And the lunacy I see where I'm like, pretend for a second, I'm not hateful. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to like make you feel like a less than person. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, I think there's some science here and why are we ignoring that? Like it just, it blows yeah. my mind. It, well, sometimes. that's not the politically correct thing to do right now. It's just like, it's just so many things that you can or cannot say anymore. And it's just. I don't know. It, it, but it's, why? It's hard we, ask ourselves, we ask ourselves, why can't you say those things? Because I mean, there's, there's a machine driving it and it fits a, an agenda. And, as, and again, it's a bottom line with the financial support that it's getting. And there's sort of certain things that are being pushed and certain things that just get... I think get, it's mob rule, man. I think it's, I think it's because of, if you break with the hive mind, then you're going to get overwhelmed. They're going to dox you. They're going <clears> to <throat> try and get you fired. It, but right. What we're seeing right now, like <clears throat> proper civil discourse like we're having where we're both talking about stuff and... You might have something you agree with, and maybe I agree partially, but not completely. And we can move on from that because I don't think that represents the entirety of who you are. Just like mm-hmm. the LeBron example. There's there's way more to LeBron than one decision about China. Exactly. Now, it doesn't mean I approve that decision, and I'm going to fight him on it. But <laughs> right. it also doesn't mean I can't see the, all the other things. It, but now it's like, oh, you know, you uh, you didn't do the thing I think I want you to do, so you are literally Hitler. I'm like, okay, that right, is so... Right. We've yeah. lost the ability to have civil discourse. Well, how do we? How do we come back together, though? And I don't want to belabor that point, but it's like, how no, do we no, all come back? Because like, President Obama like said, said it. President Obama said it. You start having well, actual conversations in person with people again. You right. so that's not my favorite president. Like, I'm not going to bring his name up because, <laughs> like, I'm not a fan of Obama. Like and that. I wasn't a fan well, of a lot of his stuff, but I like that. He basically said, "Hey, uh, start talking to people again." And I think another thing is acknowledge that. We have to sort of hold the crazy mob accountable. So mm. when they try and like, you know, um, come for one of your somebody that says something you don't agree with, like you right. got to fight it on principle. So right. oh, like, 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 like democracy and freedom of speech means I tolerate especially the things I don't like, because what happens when the majority and the mob doesn't like what I say? Do I get silenced? You know, I know a lot of people are polarized about President Trump. But if you want to understand why so many people are like in love with him, it's because they feel like he represents somebody telling the lunacy of the left to say, hey, knock it off. And that doesn't mean I agree with his brashness or all the things he's saying. And again, um, I'm just helping to help hope to help people understand because they'll look at him and, and in your mind, if you think, oh, he's racist and he's sexist and he hates everybody. And, and you're like, OK, well, given the other things you just said as facts, if those were true, I could see why I wouldn't like this guy. But what does it have to do with the thing you said you just impeached him about? And they're like, oh, um, uh, he's just killed children in cages. It, it just, right, right. okay, that's not even like logical train of thought. Right. You're describing platitudes and things that are, you're feeling strong about. 
and you're overlapping them over constitutional law. I, I will say this, though. Like, since we're both officers, we're not yeah. saying anything is wrong with uh, President Trump. He is our commander-in-chief. We're that's right, absolutely. Him. I'm talking yeah, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. We're just... No, no, and, and, and exactly. I'm not, and that's a fair point, too. We, people should know that we are, you know, as a, we're apolitical. What I'm trying right, to describe right. is an understanding of why you might see somebody who is so frustrated with this feeling like, I mean, look, I'll take another example. I'm Catholic, so I grew up saying Merry Christmas to everybody. And I live in a very Jewish neighborhood, so I'd also say Happy Hanukkah. And in my Montessori school, I had a kid that celebrated Kwanzaa. So we'd say that. But then all of a sudden, I just say decade, Happy Holidays because I don't want to offend anybody. Right. So I just say and, Happy and, Holidays. And there's nothing wrong with saying Happy Holidays. But, but I found myself getting frustrated that it became like mandated that you had to say that. It was almost like, don't you dare highlight that you have a certain faith because then that might offend someone who isn't that faith. And I'm like, because that people makes get no offended sense. for everything now. Right. Though. Like, that's so, the issue. So, you know, you asked how do we get it back? Well, we start putting up some, and I'm coming from a place of love, like you don't go out to hurt someone, but you just simply say Merry Christmas. And if they go, I'm offended, you go, I'm sorry you feel that way. But one of the byproducts of free speech is you're going to hear some things that maybe you don't get to agree with, and you let it go, right? Like, remember salt and pepper? Like, don't listen to it, right? Turn the radio off. Let me ask you this, though. To that point of free speech, then why do a lot of conservatives get mad when they see football players take a knee? So it was a great conversation. Uh, we I talked for hours with some really smart people on the Kaepernick deal. I think part of it is misunderstanding what the person's actually representing. I think another problem is is that that we have a tendency to attack the person and not the message, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's take Kaepernick specifically. He really uh, undervalues his message when you find out he's got a multi million dollar contract with Nike the whole time. Let me preface this by saying this: yeah. I don't like I don't like Kaepernick at first. Yeah, yeah. I was all for it, and I'm very, as you know, I'm very big on. America first, and mm-hmm. I don't like anybody kneeling or burning the flag. So I had to have a conversation with my exo, and he was like, "Hey, that's why we serve, so people can do what they want to do." Yeah, so I agree. I start, I started looking at it like that, but then I started looking at what Kaepernick was doing. Hey, mm-hmm. man, uh, what exactly are you getting out of this thing? Why are you not coming out and actually trying to put things into motion to actually face police brutality? Million dollar well, contracts well, with Nike, exactly, and and you get a chance to come back in the league. You you show, you show up with a Kunta Quinte shirt. Like, what is that, man? Because like, it's all grandstand. He doesn't actually want that. He, he, but it, I digress, it, so, but yeah. Right, no, but it's important we talk about that because, like, and this this is actually the opposition of what I feel. I agree with you that we fight. <laughs> right. We right. fight that, that so people can say what they say. Like, I, I don't like when people burn the American flag, but I, I will fight to the death for their right to do it because that mm. is freedom of speech, right? And I don't like when people take a knee at games, but I'm really not offended because I'm like... But at the same time, that person should realize... That when you're doing that, you're trying to trigger a response. So when you piss mm. off a bunch of people who love their country and don't understand what you're doing, you better follow it up with a clear, loving exactly. explanation of why clear, you're doing it. Because you got their attention. Okay, you got well, the well, platform. Let me ask what'd you, you this. Though. What'd you do with it? What'd you do with that platform? You why never, it, like you said, you never fought up with the hard stuff. <clears throat> why is it bad right now to love America so so much? Like, well, I don't think right I would say that. I don't think it is. I think it's bad if you're a liberal to do it, which is hysterical to me because that's a terrible policy. Yeah, like, um, I, I don't get it. Like, you say you love Americans. Like, oh, America did this. It's like, there's, there are problems. Like, I've, let me give you this example. I sure. have a conversation with people that say, well, you're an immigrant. Like, why do you love this country so much? I say, mm-hmm. well, because I came from a place where yeah. I didn't really get that many options. You're, and I came here. And, I may, and, I, and now I'm here where you work hard and things fall in your favor and you could be something. And right. I, that's why I love this country. And I believe before you ask for something from this country, what have mm-hmm. you given to her? You know, so like that, that's my, my, my place. And at the same yep. time, I don't, 
I don't try to belittle anyone and their gripe against the country. But at the same time, we have to think about the country as a whole and come together. And that's why I always say, I'm not a fan of liberals. I'm not a fan of conservatives. I try to think America first. And I, certain things here and there that I agree with, but I don't want to uh, uh, kill your time so much. I, I want to get this question out real quick. Where do yeah. you get your drive from? Where, where does this come from? Yeah, okay. Um, well, it kind of goes, I can try and circle back to everything we're talking about. Um, you've got to have a reason you're getting up in the morning. There's got to be something that moves you. Uh, mm. I've just, I'm goal-oriented. Like, uh, so I, I, it took me a while to figure out what mattered to me. I, I often felt friction in my life and I didn't know why I was feeling the friction. And what every time I was feeling friction, you want to call it a conscience or what? It was just, I wasn't living my life perfectly akin to the values that I knew I believed. It, mm. When you, when you're younger, you don't really know what you believe, right? And you work on developing that. But once you do, it becomes your stigma or your stigmata. It becomes who you are. It, it, it's how you see the world. It, it's and that's the wrong term. I said schemata, but I, I meant schemata, not stigma. Um, it becomes your way of you seeing the world. Um, so if I know that being loyal to my wife, who is my rock, drives me, then any behavior that's not in drive with that is going to start to like come out in other ways. I'm going to have like, mm. headaches. I'm going to, and I don't think everybody's real clear with what they believe. And I don't mean like, do you wow. believe in God or not? That's one thing. But are you clear? Are you crystal clear on what it is you believe in? What What are your values? You know, what makes you, how do you measure yourself on a daily basis? You know, if you were interviewing yourself daily to hire yourself, would you hire yourself? You know, if, you, mm. if you're not, you know what you just spoke to? You just spoke to my ethos. My ethos is daily, daily yeah. self-evaluation for a better that's tomorrow. Right. right. So that's your, that, that, that's your, that's your deal. So you can give yourself a grade every day and, and no matter what you do publicly, everybody knows when they get rid of the bull what they really think when they look in the mirror because you can't mm. fake that guy out and you could you could do you could have all the money in the world it, i think it's funny that people don't understand why rich or successful people could kill themselves and it's because it doesn't matter those entrappings it matters who you are and how you feel and mm. also depression is a real thing too and when you're yes. not thinking clearly um you're you, you, it's like literally you're not seeing the world you're wearing like dark glasses you cannot see the brightness Oh, um, that's awesome. I like right. it. Right, but it's true though. So, because we want to understand, like, I don't understand how I could do that. Well, that's the whole point. To understand someone, you have to understand what they're feeling because whatever they're feeling is what they're feeling. So, if all they've known is somebody pushing them around, bullying them because they're small, calling them a name because they were one of the things that didn't meet the checklist for what fits in there. I mean, do right. you realize once upon a time that, you know, you were being Irish in this country, then you were a second class citizen? Or if you were Catholic in the right. 50s, they'd make fun. I mean, it just, you weren't, you weren't the right you weren't in the right Christianity, which is crazy. Hey, we, we still we still haven't had a Catholic president, I don't think. We did. John F. Kennedy well, was Catholic. Well, except from him though, like because that's not a frequent thing. I don't think I was reading no, he was, somewhere. He's the only one that was ever Catholic. Yep. Um, but yeah, and, uh, and he was yeah. killed. Just saying. Yeah, <laughs> uh, exactly. But I don't think he was killed for being Catholic. Um, but uh, who knows? Uh, I don't even want to get into that. But right, he, got, right. <laughs> he got married at my church that I can see from my house right here. The church that both my kids are baptized in, St. Mary's here in Newport. Oh wow. So I, I, you know, the Kennedys are always fresh in our mind. We walk in, um, you know, that's just, and that is my favorite. That's my favorite president of all time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. My son's name is John. Uh, that's a family name, but we got a John Snow for a son. Um, it's to, to back what you said, what drives you to answer the question. It mm -hmm. just, I just want to be the best version I can of me. And then I accept that I've got failures and, and, um, the, 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 the growth process in itself, I think helps, right? Like you just got to grow. Um, right, right. And if if you're uh, if you're just stagnant, then you're gonna start to feel less than, and you're gonna you're gonna decline. And we're all gonna decline eventually. Our bodies are gonna fail us, but our you know even your mind could I guess, but your soul is what it is, and you mm. gotta protect it. So that's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just 
I, I, for me, like, I always want to try and best understand why someone's feeling the way they are. You know, mm-hmm. like you talked about different sets of rules. You talked about um, you know, racism in America and how do we get to better for all these things. Mm-hmm. Part of it is you have to acknowledge there's going to be some subset on either side that are broken tools, right? The same way mm-hmm. that some people just are not wired correctly and, and that's why they're criminals or hurtful people. But that, right. that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to decriminalize certain, certain aspects um, of our society. And like you talked about, like, there is some cycles we have got to break out of. And one of them, it starts with just talking. And if I can't even say a stat like, hey, you know, 84% of African-American homes are single, we got to change that because culturally we know that having two parents in the home is the best possible thing for a child at any level, right? It's just the mm-hmm. best thing. Now, not if there's violence, right? Like that's... But right, like, right. But, the, but this is where you have to do, you have to quantify that. When you say that statement, you yeah. have to ask why. And, why does it matter? Uh, no, 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 not why does it matter, but well, why are there single um, homes and okay, why the father's not there? Okay, safety tree again. I'm not accusing anyone. I'm not trying to make anyone. No, no, no I'm not saying them. you are. I'm not saying. I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying like when people do that. Uh, like, do you what, know who Thomas? What, do you know who Thomas Saul is? No. Uh, uh, very so. Uh, Thomas, and then his last name is S O W E L L. You should read him sometime. He's a Hoover Institute, very famous black historian, and he talked about how. Um, there's three things he really uh, credits or discredits for the fall of, of the strong black American family. And what he said was part of it was technology. And you laugh because it sounds trivial, but as washing machines and dishwashers and things that removed a man's need to have a wife developed, mm-hmm. it made it easier to physically be not with a family, right? Mm-hmm. Two, as we got better at race, race relations, you had a lot of uh, black families that were traditionally in the South moving up North and vice versa, away from their family who would otherwise hold them to a standard of, oh, you got her pregnant? You're marrying her, right? That Jack and Mary. And then all of a sudden that wasn't there. And then third, he talked about the nanny state where we literally incentivize economically having more kids because, oh, here's more money. Here's more welfare. Here's but but more this stuff. is the thing, though. Let me push back on what he said. That's, a sure. false, that's all the false narrative. Okay. All, all the false narrative because the major thing that has affected the black family is the war on drugs. If you go back to the war on drugs and pull the fathers, because like actually out of all the fathers, mm-hmm. black fathers are the most involved in their kids. So it was like so, and, and I saw this Harvard um, study. Harvard study. I'll send it to you after the podcast because yeah, my uh, my cousin graduated from Harvard, and um, nice. They they did this study and I actually had him on one of my episodes in, on this podcast. So okay, actually those are false narratives of the black father, and mm-hmm. it's like. And you do have a point there with incentivizing of certain things. However, that movement and again the criminal system pulling that black father out of that uh, out of that household based off of same things, same penalties are not being given to the the white. I think that's a valid. I think it's a valid point. Now, but I don't think that um, defeats I'm the not, other narrative. That, that, no, no, like, I'm not saying defeats it, but I'm saying it's a false narrative to say those are the three things that encompass the problem. What I'm saying is, it's a lot yeah, bigger. No, it's than not that. everything. But like, Cause, this cause, is again, this is not me. This is Thomas Sowell. No, no, no. I'm not saying you. Okay. I'm talking about him. Because yeah. like, even speaking to that, when you talk about the war, war on drugs and in the '80s, then you talk about the opioid crisis right now. Oh, it's oh. a different. It's a different reaction to it. Right. But so it, cross, might, it crosses like all drugs don't, and just like disease, they they don't care what your skin color is. They're right, right. But 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 if you look at the opioid uh, crisis right now, yep. it affects significantly more whites than blacks. No, okay. I believe so, you. I don't know. Yeah, so, I, so, I, so I've, looked, I've, I've looked at it and I'll send you all this stuff as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying, I'm saying the system is reacting differently to this mm-hmm. crisis as opposed to how it react, reacted to that crisis. And what I can say is maybe they learn from the mistakes of their at response and say, okay, let's not criminalize the person that is the victim here. Or Do you really think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you. You've got me. But 
what I really think needs to change is mm-hmm. a culture. And like I think True. it's, it's mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. we talk about here at the War College about uh, wicked adaptive complex problems. And what that means is uh, if it's a linear problem like open this door, open the screen door, walk in the house, now you're in the house. Okay, that's a process. It's pretty easy. If I say solve the war on drugs or defeat Afghanistan, it is a complex problem. Meaning if I push on that bubble, something mm-hmm. else changes elsewhere and it changes the whole battle problem again, right? Yeah. And because if it was easy, we'd solve it. But, but to me, this goes back to everything we were talking about. Like you grew up in a family where education was valued, right? In the community right. where that was valued. Same here. So it was much more likely that I'd be on a high educational path. It has nothing to do with skin color. It has to do with mm. the people around me saying this is a value. And in this family, son, we go do this, right? right? Asian families are the same way, right? Getting excellent marks in school in the Jewish faith and the Asian faith, those are like strong identifiers for those cultures, right? Right. Um, and, and if you're surrounded by a culture that doesn't value that, like wh- why do we only assume that young black men, and I'll stay with black men just because it's a demographic you and I can both talk about, could only mm-hmm. be successful if they were uh, rappers or athletes? What's that about? That's bull. Right, but that's the, that's, that's the young black American man. Do, do, right. you, do you know who, who the most successful immigrants to America right now is? Who's that? The Nigerians. Yeah. Nigerians. I see a lot of uh, Uganda too, right? Like just Uganda. So, so there's a study that was just done, and I need to send you. To, and they, they um and they had it on. Um, you got a lot of homework from out of this deal. Yeah. yeah. So it's like yeah. So it, they had a whole study about <laughs> Nigeria, and I believe it was China. Um, they're the two leading. Uh, Taiwan for groups. sure has a lot of uh, people in their culture that value education, and again, the Jewish faith also because it's about community, it's about family, education, yeah. wealth. Yeah, but we we've had so much. We have to do this again because uh, we yeah. just, we just keep going on forever and ever. But in closing, do you have any final remarks to share with my audience? Uh, one, just thanks for having me on. As you can tell, there's Always. probably about 80 avenues we could have gone down right. on some other topics. <laughs> and and, and I, I guarantee you, I probably said something that I didn't finish the thought. And someone was like, what is he talking about? That's hurtful. So uh, if there's any follow-up questions you need me to respond to, I'm happy to do it. Yes, um, sir. But just like I said, like it all comes back to a decision to get to resolution as opposed to conflict. If my intent when I talk to someone is to make them feel less than to show them how much better than I am. I'm not winning. I'm not, I'm not being a useful citizen. Mm. Um, if my intent is just to silence someone whose opinion I don't agree with, whether that's kneeling or, you know, I think we should be, you know, this, that, or the other, like, that's not useful. You, if you really believe strongly enough in what you believe and stand for, mm-hmm. then you can openly defend that because you can make a valid argument that doesn't include attacking the person, that doesn't include going into neg- or, um, corollary things that have nothing to do with the actual argument. You should be able to defend right. what you're saying on its face, and the other person should be able to have a chance to respond, and vice versa. So when we see people not doing that, that's part of the problem. So communication, yes, respect, <laughs> listening, mm-hmm. uh, and the acknowledgement that, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Um, so like I'm really excited to read the stuff you're going to send me because I'm, I'm sure that they are valid. But at its core, I think that this is needs to get made for any culture to get better is we just need to have more people than not supporting a certain thing. So if it's more appropriate than not to be married culturally, then you're probably going to have more people married. If it's more appropriate than not and culturally to, um, you know, be a present father, whether you're married or not culturally, then you're going to see that. If it's not, if there's no consequence, if it's just what everybody's doing, mm-hmm. you walk into any squatter. And again, I'll wrap up. But any community is you're going to feel the lay of the land. You're going to feel what's what's acceptable, what's not. Right. Whether right. that's being late in our culture. No way. Right. You're doing push-ups, not right. okay. <laughs> right. in, in, in South America, being late's like socially acceptable. And I learned this in my grad school program. You walk in 30 minutes late, that's normal. 
in America, we shake a deal, it, it, the deal's done, right? In right. Asia, they renegotiate for years after the fact where if you and I said, I'll pay you $10,000 for this car, and you say yes, and as I'm dropping off, and I go, how about eleven? you You'd be like, what are you doing, man? We're done here. Because that's right. a cultural thing. So I think all that comes down to understanding people and then also not terribleizing them, not trying to search for the worst in them just because it makes you easier to understand them, quote unquote, when all you're really doing is painting them with a brush that makes you allowed to now tell you that they're literally Hitler, which they're not. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Commander Patrick Snow, Consign Roxy. Uh, he just gave us one of the best episodes of Plast Your Limit podcast right here. Uh, will you come back again for another episode? Or oh, actually, I'm thinking... Anytime. You may have to get a whole episode to yourself to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. You yeah, know, anytime. So we'll um, work something out. And, I mean, and, and this stuff I love because, you know, I don't... Every time you discuss and think about things, you start mm-hmm. to learn, you start to reattack. why do I believe something? So, yeah, mm-hmm. we maybe just and, pick, like, one whole topic and we'll just talk about that instead of... Right, and let me say this. I didn't mention it earlier. I did graduate JPME 1. And, nice. uh, and I needed to take JPME too, which is the resident portion of War College. But you I got to come here. Are I you teach teaching uh, JMO? Correct. That's one of my fa- favorite um, topics. I actually graduated. I finished that one with a nice A. Nice. Uh, my paper was awesome. So that doesn't like shock it. me at all. But yeah, so <laughs> I, I teach both the juniors and the seniors, the uh, uh, you know o fours, o fives, and o fives and o sixes, and joint maritime and joint military operations. And then there's a whole leadership bit to it. And then the uh, professional military education is a part of it, phase one and two. So oh yeah, I did yep. phase one. I'm waiting to get phase two. Hopefully, I pick up o four and uh, you will. Have it. <laughs> all when right, you do, sir. When you do ask for the naval war college, and you get to live out here in Newport. It's amazing, and you can go hang out at the Kennedy's Church. I'm going to take what you just said, and I'll play for my wife. So when, when that time comes, Well, if you guys want to come visit, I'm not kidding. Come out and visit. We got a guest room. We'll show you the town, and you can just kind of get a lay of the land, and she'll get a feel for it. But it's a great – they're great owners. It's the yes, best sir. kept secret in the Navy. That's All right. awesome. I, I need to talk to you about the Herbal Life uh, offline and because yeah. uh, I want to get involved in that. So with that, I'll say thank you again for joining me, and we'll do this again, okay? All right. God bless. Hoo-yah.